therefore, and also him rising from the dead, both body and soul, and we know that he does that for us, then why do Christians still die? In other words, since physical death was the payment for sin, now hear me now, since physical death was the payment for sin, and since Jesus paid for our sins, he died on our behalf, he exhausted the, the, the penalty that was due to us, he fully satisfied the justice of God, then why do we still die physically? Why don't we just live forever, even now? Why is there still a separation of body and soul when Christ has underwent that for us, resurrected, came out the other side? Then why do we still die? Why do we still die? So this evening, I want us to consider a couple things, uh, the type of death that Christ dies for, uh, why do we still die, and also how are we to think about death as Christians? How are we to think about death as Christians? So, again, since physical death was the payment for sin, and if Jesus paid for our sins, why do we still die physically? Well, to answer that question, we have to first ask, what type of death did Christ defeat for us? What type of death did Christ Christ defeat for us? In Scripture... There are three ways it speaks of death. Three ways it speaks of death. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, and there is the second death. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on the second death. I'm just going to consider the spiritual and physical death. Physical death is what we have just spoke of moments ago and last Sunday evening. It is that separation of body and soul. That is physical death. It is a separation of body and soul. At death, the soul no longer is able to animate the body. It's no longer to perform its powers through the body, but separates from the body, thereby causing the human being to only be a subset of what it means to be human. Because, again, what it means to be human is to be body and soul. But if you were to lose your body, then you're now only a subset of what it means to be human. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 6 through 8 speaks of this. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how how it will be? And here we see that death is a separation of the soul. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of the death. We see this in James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead... So also faith apart from works is dead. So death is our, in a nutshell, death is our inability to retain the soul. Death is our inability to retain the soul. And it is this type of death that we will all experience one day. We all will undergo physical death. I mean, the, the time has started since the moment of conception uh, of your death. And the more we age, the, the more that time begins to get closer to that time when we will finally experience and undergo death. We undergo this separation of body and soul. And keep in mind, saints, that, again, this is not how we were meant to be. This is not how we were meant to be. Although Adam in the garden was given a body that was mortal, it wasn't meant, the ultimate end wasn't meant for it to undergo decay but rather he was meant to pass his 
probationary period, thereby his body would transform into an immutable body. He would not undergo decay. His soul wasn't meant to be separated from his body. But rather now, because of Adam's sin, we all will experience this physical death of body and soul separation. So that is what physical death is. And again, the other type of death that the Bible speaks of is spiritual death. And just like physical death, spiritual death infects everyone, from all men and women. From the moment they are conceived, they are dead spiritually. So just as you were, in a nutshell, born to die, you will die. Everyone can escape death. Everyone also can escape this spiritual death as well. Everyone is infected with spiritual death. Now, how do we define spiritual death? And there's much that we can say, and there's much that probably we should say. But in a nutshell, for time's sake, spiritual death is essentially separation from God. Spiritual death is separation from God. Because of Adam's sin, there now exists a wide gulf between God and creation. Because of Adam's sin, there is a wide gulf. And when I say wide gulf, it's not like as big as um, the Grand Canyon wide. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an infinite distance. An infinite chasm that exists between us and God. And this is why one must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for only in Christ is one able to be reconciled to the Father. So, spiritual death is essentially a separation from God. Just as physical death is a separation of body and soul, spiritual death is a separation of God and man, simply put. Now, with this in view, what type of death did Christ defeat? Was it physical death or was it spiritual death? What type of death did he defeat? And to answer that question, and I believe you're already there, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The Apostle Paul says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, in light of this verse, we have to ask, what is the death that is spoken of here? What is the te- death? What type of death is Paul speaking of in Romans chapter 6, verse 23? Again, he says, for the wages of sin is death. So what type of death is that? Is it spiritual death or is it physical death? And the answer to that question lies in what God told Adam In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. So again, in order for us to answer what type of death that Paul is referring to in Romans 6, we must look at the type of death that God was referring to in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 says this, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day of it, Uh, For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, notice, friends, that God told Adam that he will die by eating upon a particular tree. 
That's the stipulation. You're going to die if you eat upon a particular tree. Now, when Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did Adam physically die that day, that very moment? No. Adam didn't physically die the moment he ate of the fruit or of the tree. But in fact, he lived for hundreds of years after. So what death was it? What type of death was it that God was referring to when he told Adam that he will die? Well, we know it's not physical death per se because he didn't die that very moment, but rather it is spiritual death. Namely, separation from God. Now, Adam would have eventually died. And the curse that Adam brought upon mankind was surely death in terms of separation of body and soul. But the primary death, and notice the language I'm using, the primary death that Adam brought upon mankind is spiritual. The primary death that Adam brought upon mankind is spiritual. And that is the type of death that God was referring to. So with that in mind, we can answer the type of death that Paul is speaking of in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Again, Paul says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Notice, saints, Paul is here making a comparison. He's contrasting two things, death and life. But more specifically, he's contrasting death with eternal life now what is the opposite of eternal life spiritual death if paul is contrasting eternal life then the opposite of eternal life if he's making a comparison is spiritual death so it makes sense to say that the death spoken of in romans chapter 6 verse 23 is not physical per se but it is spiritual and this is the reading of Paul that, and this reading of Paul, uh, it follows the patterns of Romans. He, in, in Romans 5.21, uh, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness to, to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says in Romans 8 verse 13, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 6.16, do you not know that when you present, present your bodies to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of one whom you obey, either in sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So as you can see, death and life are contrasted, and in each case it is a contrast between spiritual death and spiritual life. And this is how Paul often wrote, so since spiritual death is the primary death that Adam brought upon mankind, it is that kind of death that Jesus came to primarily abolish. Again, since it is spiritual death that Adam brought upon mankind, it is that type of death that Christ came to primarily abolish. Again, we were separated from God. Spiritually, spiritually dead. What does Christ do in his life, death, and resurrection? He reconciles us to God. We are now not alienated from God. We are not separated from God. You are not, if you are saved, you are not spiritually dead. 
And only secondarily did Christ abolish the physical death we undergo. And this is where the question of why, of why Christians still die come into play. If by Christ's death and resurrection he defeats death for us, then why do we still undergo death? So we already mentioned that the primary death that Christ defeats is spiritual death, a separation from God. And then secondarily, by his resurrection, he defeats the physical death. Well, then why do we still undergo death then? If we are united to him. And here's two reasons why. Two reasons why Christians still undergo death. Number one, the first reason the effects of Adam's sin still live with us. The effects of Adam's sin still live with us. Unfortunately for us, the effects of our sin continue even after we have been forgiven. Do they not, saints? When Adam sinned in the garden, not only did he usher in death and separation from God, but also he ushered in sickness, disease, physical ailments, and even after we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we still live in a world where we can contract these diseases. We are exposed to these diseases. We are exposed to sickness. This is why, or rather, our faith in Christ doesn't totally remove all of the effects of Adam's sin in this life. Now notice what I said. Our faith in Christ doesn't totally remove all of the effects of Adam's sin in this life. Because if they did, then you would never get sick. If they did, you would never sin again. But we still sin. We still get sick. We still disobey God. And friends, the reason why we still die is because we live in a world where the effects of Adam's sin are still ever-present. Because of our mortal bodies, we are still subject to the defects of sin. And we are still able to contract all of these various diseases and sicknesses because of our bodies. We have not yet been glorified. This is another reason why Jesus Christ could never get sick. Because he did not... Well, he was not uh, uh, infected with original sin, but also with all the other effects of Adam's sin, which is sickness and disease. So one of the reasons why we still die is because we still are subject to the effects of the fall. And the second reason why we still die is because we show solidarity with Christ. And I think if... Out of all the reasons, and there are a multitude of reasons, this is probably the main one. The reason why we still die is to show solidarity with Christ. It is to show our, our fellowship. It is to show our friendship. It is to show our union with Christ. We undergo death in the same way Christ underwent death. We show our connection to God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because just as Christ was raised to new life, body and soul, and we all believe that we will be raised body and soul, we also will undergo the same separation of body and soul the way Christ had. And this is the biblical witness of Scripture. Consider what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of, of his resurrection. So Paul is saying that I may know Christ 
And by knowing Christ, I will know the power of his resurrection. I will be raised in the same way Christ is raised. But notice he also says, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul is making a connection, not only with Christ's resurrection and his resurrection, but also Christ's death and our death. That in all things I may be like Christ. In resurrection, in life, but also in dying. To the Apostle Paul, dying brings us into communion with Christ's sufferings. It brings us in communion with Christ's sufferings. That we undergo body and soul separation. We undergo death in the same way Christ underwent death. And this is the beauty of it, saints, that Christ, the eternal Son of God, becomes man, lives, dies, suffers for us, raises new life. And what is he doing in there? He's showing solidarity with us. He's showing his his fellowship and his union with us. He is one with us. But also in us dying, we are showing and amening that solidarity with Christ. Where Christ shows his union with us, we show our union with Christ by dying in the manner that he died. So why do we still die? Number one, because we still feel the effects of the fall. And number two, to show solidarity with Christ. To show our, to show our union and our, our relationship, our deep relationship, our friendship with God. And second and lastly, saints, how are we to think of death in light of Christ's work? How are we to think of death in light of Christ's work? Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says this, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Again, I am hard-pressed between the two. Two options. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Notice, friends, that Paul says that his desire is to depart. The Puritan Thomas Watson says, to depart may be a metaphor taken from mariners who loosen anchor so that they may sail from one port to another. So Paul desired to loosen his anchor. Death to a believer is but loosening the anchor and sailing from one port to another. From earth to heaven. To St. Paul, death was not the end. And mind you, saints... If someone ever tells you that death is the end, it's not the end. You weren't made to die. But you were made to live. And to St. Paul, death is not the end, but rather death is the means to take us from this earthly existence, this earthly tabernacle, to our heavenly home. Just as the means by me communicating to you right now is this microphone, the means by which God uses to bring us home is death. Death to Paul was an advancement. And notice the word I'm using, an advancement in one's estate. It's an advancement in one's estate. How many of you ever thought of death as an advancement in one's estate? Where one, the saints of God, 
can finally enjoy God without the presence of sin. And no one spoke of this better than the Puritans. The Puritan Thomas Watson has said, death puts an end to all of our evils. And the greatest evil in this life for the Christian is undoubtedly sin. Thomas Watson calls sin the womb of our sorrows and the grave of our comforts. Because of Adam's sin, sin is woven into the very fabric of who we are. It's almost as if to be human is to be a sinner. And even after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we still every single day wrestle with sin, do we not? For some of us, sin is our closest companion. It's an enemy that can never stop attacking us. Sin is the saint's greatest burden for we all at one point have cried out like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 for I do not do the good that I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And saints, the good news is at death. The old man with his sin is finally put to death. So when you die, it's not merely just you dying, but also your sin is dying as well. The sin that continues to eat at you, to tempt you, the sin that you constantly fall prey to, it goes in the grave with you. Death will free us from anything and everything in us associated with sin. Again, death will free us from anything in us associated with sin. In other words, the day we stop breathing will be the day we stop sinning. The day we stop breathing will be the day, and the glorious day that is, that we will stop sinning. And saints, this is how the Reformed have spoken of death. They, they view death as a releasing of sin and a passing on to eternal life. For example, the rest of the minister of the larger catechism says in question 85, question death being the ways of sin. Why are not the righteous delivered from death, seeing that all their sins are forgiven in Christ? So, so you know that this question that I, that I raised in the beginning was not something that I jumped up. It's actually deeply wedded in our reformed heritage. Being the wages of sin is death. Why are not the righteous delivered from death, seeing all their sins are forgiven in Christ? And the answer, the righteous shall be delivered from death itself. At the last day. And even in death are delivered from the stinging curse of it. So that although they die. And hear the language they use. Yet it is out of God's love. To free them perfectly from sin and misery. And to make them capable of further communion with Christ in glory. Which then or which they then enter upon. This is much different than how Roman Catholics view death. Or the moment a Catholic dies, if they are in the state of grace, they go to what's called purgatory, where you are being purged of all of your venial sins, the things that you have not yet asked forgiveness for, and the things that continue to eat at you and continue to bait you to sin, the things that you continue to do. But here... The Westminster divines have said that upon death, you enter into communion with God in glory. 
And notice, saints, the Westminster divines see death for the Christian as a gift of God's love. How many of you ever thought of death as a gift of God's love? In death, God frees us. He frees the Christian perfectly from sin and misery. The Heidelberg Catechism says something similar. Question, since Christ has died for us, why do we still die? Since Christ has died for us, why do we still die? And notice it says, our death does not pay the debt of our sins. So we're not paying for our own sins when we die. But rather, it puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance into eternal life. Again, and they're really here um, combating the error of Rome in terms of purgatory. Or purgatory for the Christian is not a place where you suffer, but rather it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's Christ's blood that purifies us, not a place where you go and suffer and, you're, and you're, you are continuing to be pur- uh, purified. But death itself is a gift from God, and it puts an end to our sinning. That's the gift. Not that suffering and pain unto death is a gift, but rather death itself and what it means for the Christian, and that is a separation from us and our continuing to sin. Every single day sinning. And then our entrance into eternal life. For the believer, death is the end of all of our misery. And in death, we will finally be freed from our greatest misery, and that is indwelling sin. All of our battles against our sin, all of the grief that we feel when we confess our sins before God, all of our failures to love God purely and properly and perfectly, all of these things are gone at death. All of them. And we no longer have anything that interferes with our enjoyment of God. But as pure sons of God, we will fully enjoy and embrace our Father with perfect love. With love that's, that's not clouded with sin. With love that's not torn between God and our sin. But rather, we will love God perfectly. One theologian has said, in death, The believers of God, God is demonstrating his mercy and his love by drawing them to himself, setting them free from the last vestiges of sin which dwells in their mortal members. I think at times when we think of Christians dying, we say, God is bringing them home because God doesn't want them to suffer any longer. And although that may be true, I think we are to think of Christians when God brings them home, he's freeing them from sin. And never being able to sin again. Not merely physical sufferings. But he's freeing them from themselves of sinning. And that's a gift of God, is it not? That's a gracious gift of God's love. I mean, saints, I don't know about you, but the one thing that I so desperately want and can't wait. I mean, I don't even know how I'm going to live. is the day when I cannot sin any longer. I mean, what a day that will be. In closing, saints, Christ, by his death, has freed us from the sting of death. He has freed us from the sting of death. And he has given us a great promise that even in death, we can rest assured that death will not be our home forever. 
but we will be reunited with our bodies. And I think the greatest news for the Christian is even though we may still sin in this life, the believer, because of Christ, doesn't die in their sins. You see, there's a difference between a believer continuing to press toward Christ and His cross, continuing to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us, to throw Himself at the mercy seat of God and beg and ask for forgiveness. But they still continue to sin. Then there's a difference between another who actually dies in their sins. And for the believer, even though we still sin, we don't, because of Christ, die in our sins. But rather, God in love, in death, puts an end to our sinning. We don't die in our sins, but rather, in death, God puts an end to our sinning. Praise God, saints. Praise Christ. For not only has he freed us from spiritual death, but even in death, we know that one day we will be freed from physical death. And that's the great hope of the Christian, is it not? That right now, you have that now. That is the hope that we all long for. And we know that it will come because Christ has been raised to new life. And therefore, we will be raised to new life as well. Let's pray.